Mike's Video Game Podcast. I miss you, Mike. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike's Video Game Podcast. I'm Mike Geig. And I'm Michael Wu. And welcome to episode five, this time preceding four and <laughs> without a lost episode in between. So I consider that progress. Yes, we've we- made it to five. <laughs> and Mike is now back in Ohio again. And so. Mike is back in Ohio again. I am. Luxurious Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> like to welcome you back, actually. You came from a pretty exotic trip. I did, yeah. We didn't even know what to call it. Was it Ukraine or the Ukraine? I know, right? <laughs> Isn't that so weird? Like, So yeah, I went to I went to Kiev and I keep saying the Ukraine, but it's like... And that's my instinct too. I don't too, say to the call- America, <laughs> but, you, but then it's the U word, right? Because you mm. say the United Kingdom. Mm. The United States of America. Hmm. I guess it's just the United United uh, Emirates, uh, Arab Emirate. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Whatever. But the, but no, it's just Ukraine mm-hmm. um, or whatever the name of it is in Ukrainian. Which, <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I realized after visiting Montreal that I'm decent with Spanish. I don't know Spanish, but mm-hmm. I know enough Spanish to be able to like fumble my way th- around and be like, I know that's a bathroom and I know – that is a restaurant and whatever. And then I went to Montreal. It's all French. And I realized <laughs> I know no French. <laughs> and uh, so I just lost. And then I went to Ukraine uh, and I realized that French was a cakewalk because at least we shared an alphabet. <laughs> so I literally – I didn't know what was a word, what was a number. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, It was very – it was interesting. Very cool city though. So how did you uh, get around and did you have, uh, like, I, I guess a handler, someone who yeah, fetched you to the training sessions? I had hand- – well, they were um, – so the company I was there with were, was very good to me. They mm-hmm. um, got me a room at a hotel and then had the training at that hotel. Oh, So I didn't convenient. need to, right, right. to get around. Um, and then whenever I needed to go anywhere, I had these handlers that helped me figure out where I was going. They actually, they actually uh, booked me a tour guide. Uh, on Thursday, very nice. Who walked? Who yeah. who basically drove me around and showed me all the parts of the city and stuff like that. So, um, it was a really cool trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really neat city. A lot of lot of culture and war monuments. And I tell you, those people have had kind of a crummy lot in life. They've been conquered a lot. Right. I mean, they're at that that um, intersection between right. Europe and Asia, and mm-hmm. yeah, just it's. Well, and Where, if you want to swing around the Mediterranean, like well, you go to that whole area. they have the richest soil in the world. Oh, for farming? Yeah, yeah so they're just, yeah. just huge farm, yeah, farming right, right. areas. And so non-farming areas, they develop armies because they don't have farms, <laughs> you know. And so uh, the people that are, are farmers are kind of screwed. Um, and so it's interesting because they have a conflict going on right now. And and when you go there, they're just like, oh, yeah, but that's like – that's a couple hours away. <laughs> and it's just like – can you imagine how – completely ape shit we'd go if, if there was any conflict in america anywhere if i yeah if i was making a video game say in seattle and i found out that somewhere in the midwest there was armed conflict even in florida i'd, even in florida, <laughs> yeah. I'd be like yeah i'm having a hard time focusing on making this game yeah. but you were in fact there to train a team on on making games or mm-hmm. with unity yeah, yeah it was, it was right? definitely yeah it was a, it was a work trip it, mm-hmm. it actually ended up being quite a a, a pleasurable trip, but yeah. it was in fact a business trip. Um, and just, just as a side note, before we move on there, um, they they thought it was weird that I thought it was weird that no one really cared. There was a conflict going on, and I I said, you have to understand, America's only been invaded once by us. Like so, I mean, really not uh, uh, not familiar territory. So, um, but no, I was there uh, on a work trip uh, doing some trainings um, on obviously uh, Unity uh, video game development content and stuff like that. 
And I was, I guess I was just kind of briefly talking to you. I haven't really spoken to you much since I got back. Um, very interesting because it is not an area that you would expect to be very rich in, in gaming, right? Mm-hmm. It, it really isn't. Um, you know, as far as development goes, obviously not consuming. Mm-hmm. Video game consumption is huge everywhere, but, um, it's really kind of a, a small area for that. But I was impressed because I also went to a user group. Um, I was impressed by this, just the amount of actual people doing dev there. And the stories I kept hearing was there are all these jobs and there's no qualified people to fill the jobs. Huh. Um, even, even in Ukraine, you know, in software development or in games specifically. Games specifically. Wow. Yeah. Okay. yeah game developers. Um, and now, I mean, you have big companies. In that region, like wargaming is there, not uh, not in okay. Ukraine specifically. They're in. Um, I know they have a Helsinki office, mm-hmm. which is obviously Finland, but they have one in uh, Russia, Minsk, Minsk, I believe. Okay, I believe we were just talking about that. Okay. I can't remember. Okay. You can look it up, but but the one like again in a region wargaming. you don't expect. It's wargaming.net you're talking about. Wargaming.net, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I, for, I for always remember if the .net is actually part of their name or just their, their web address. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of neat. And then to kind of further build upon that is it was interesting because I started talking to them about developing games for their market. And they were kind of telling me all about how their market really isn't Ukraine and mm-hmm. Russia. Their market really is America and, and Western Europe and stuff like that. And so I thought, man, it has to be kind of extra challenging. Um, not only the area that they're in, not that there's anything wrong with it per se, but just that, you know, there are certain opportunities afforded by our, uh, areas that are very rich in, in, in job potential. Um, but then they're also developing for cultures other than their own. Mm-hmm. And their culture is very different than ours. They eat lots of vegetables. And being from America, that was very <laughs> weird to me. Um and so, yeah, it was, it was, it's certainly an, an interesting thought that, that during the development process, not only do they have to think about mechanics and, uh, portrayal, design, UI, but they also have to say, what is this symbol going to mean here versus what is it going to mean there? Mm-hmm. I mean, the great example that I, I was thinking of as we we're talking about it is if I want to put up a sign that says there is a camera, uh, like a, a traffic camera monitoring you, um, in America, you would see either, uh, classic long rectangular like security camera mm-hmm. picture, right? Mm-hmm. Or you would see something that just looks like a a point and shoot digital camera mm-hmm. or what or film camera. Um, in England, in the at least in the areas I saw around London, very briefly as I was passing through, was why I was fresh in my mind. It was a picture of one of those old time cameras where you'd put the hood over your head and <laughs> right. snap it. It was, yeah. it was like the accordion camera, right? right. And I, I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, I know that's a camera, but. I, how many like younger people know what yeah. that is? Just yeah. like we, how we use a diskette for the same. Yeah, icon, I was just right? thinking the same thing. Like we have the same problems in computers mm-hmm. because yeah, everybody has to save to, and it's a floppy disk. And you wonder like how many people actually know what a floppy exactly. disk looks like. Exactly, and so they have the same problems. I have to imagine developing games. Mm-hmm. Like what is a play icon? What is a mm-hmm. what means this? What means that? Um, and so very interesting to even ponder an entire business model. Like that, not just having extra markets, which everyone does, but but specifically having a main market that is more or less alien to you. Yeah, I remember my first exposure to games not made by like an American studio mm-hmm. or a British studio was uh, through the Amiga computer because they were hugely popular in Western mm-hmm. Europe, and so that's the first time I saw games coming out of say like France, for example, mm-hmm. or Germany, mm-hmm. and then they'd 
they had a different approach to uh, themes and graphic design and sound design too. Like th- sounds that to us were like, "What? That's such a goofy sound to have mm-hmm. for this for this thing." But to them, that sounds very American. Like I played a game about the Civil War made by a French company, hmm. and their take on it was like it was it was cartoony. Whereas in the states, we take it very uh, serious, seriously, very seriously, yeah. yeah. Um, just as I'm sure we'd take a more cartoony take on the French, any of the yeah, French Revolution, right, you right. know, to them, <laughs> yeah. it's very serious business. Right. Um, and for me, that was the first time I, hell, you, there are more people making games than just us. Mm-hmm. And then, um, it wasn't until professionally years and years later that I actually ever worked with a studio outside of the States with an mm-hmm. outsourcing, or actually in the, in the case, in my case, it was insourcing. It mm-hmm. was, uh, there were two studios. Uh, based in one in Canada, one in Shanghai, uh, that were producing parts of Dead Space 3. Okay. And, uh, for me, it was interesting to transition from, I'm a consumer of this product who presumed, since mm-hmm. everything was localized to American tasting sure. uh, language, that, you know, we were making the software for ourselves. And then realizing in college, well, actually, there are some studios out there mm-hmm. making a couple of funny little games by Western European companies. Never mm-hmm. really thought much about it. And then uh, to realize, like, maybe Ukraine or China, they have huge, vast consumer markets that produce software that we never see. You know, Korean. And, yeah. I mean, the Korean yeah. market is, is gigantic. South American market's becoming huge. With I mean, Brazil alone, such a huge population, you know, all mobilizing with their devices. Yeah, I, had, I was maybe seven years ago that a friend who was um, working at a uh, San Francisco studio told me about the fact that his team will design. He was a, uh, like an executive, a manager uh, within this company the people that make the dash games, like cafe mm-hmm. dash and mm-hmm. things yeah, like yeah. that. Um, all of their code development was being done in parts of South America because mm-hmm. they could do it um, cheaply and quickly. And the design would be like, we have a need for a button mm-hmm. <laughs> in the game. We can design it and then have them implemented over the course of a weekend, and then can we see, we can actually then monitor its progress in real time, and mm-hmm. so that's what they do. So there has to be a, a pretty big difference though between having local designers and outsourcing development work versus being completely mm-hmm. right. I don't want to say outsourced because they're they're not outsourced; they're just companies that are outside or they're right, right. general target markets. Um, and that, you know, again, there just has to be quite a challenge there. Another, just as you were talking about how things look in different areas, um, and go go anywhere in the world where they speak different languages mm-hmm. and, and ask them to make the sound a dog makes. Like yeah. you may say bark, right. bark, or wolf, right, wolf, right. or whatever, but everyone makes different sounds. Mm-hmm. Like we, that's not even agreeable. And yeah. a lot of times they'll make a sound, you're like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Or the sound and, a rooster makes is the worst. He's like, what? That's ridiculous. Really? I, <laughs> I got to, I'll have to try that. <laughs> yeah. sound a rooster makes. Um no, yeah, but it's, it's very interesting because you don't even – I mean, without localization experts, right, cultural experts, you don't really even know what you don't know. It's mm-hmm. amazing how many times you can make something super offensive without really – Yeah. Like I remember a, a student project I was doing um, – uh, judging on uh, student projects, but they were all over the world, right? It was, mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a local school. It was just an online thing. And one of the students – Made a game with a lot of cra- uh, cra- jokes about uh, uh, African Americans and Martin Luther King, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you got to be mm-hmm. kind of maybe careful with that yeah. if you're targeting American markets. Yeah. And they were just like, I don't understand. Like, what do you mean? Like, I we yeah. had no right, idea right. that maybe it was a sensitive right. subject right. to some. And I'm like, oh, I, well, I guess I mean that makes sense if you're not 
from America, you really don't have the same like like this is kind of a yeah. <laughs> your issue here. Yeah, I've got right? t- I got two anecdotes to t- uh, share. Uh, one was the character the Arbiter from Halo Two mm-hmm. was not originally called the Arbiter, and I'm not sure if it's ever been disclosed what the, his original name is, so I won't say it. But we were using a term that to us sounded really cool. It's got, you know what? Here, write uh, it on this pad of paper because I want to know. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of uh, backstory. It's well, it not even backstory that we understood as mm-hmm. your average ignorant American. Mm-hmm. It just sounded really cool to us uh, because we had heard it, you know. Mm-hmm here and there and it sounded like it had a rich history and that's a cool term to use mm-hmm. um sort of like using the that you know the term um oh templar knight or something sure, like that you sure, know sure, like yeah, oh yeah. that sounds cool like, yeah but then you realize oh templar knights are crusaders and there's a lot of history there and not all of it is good no, like, a lot cru- of it is good. crusaders were actually really, <laughs> really bad kind of bad yeah so, especially with like the children's crusades and things <laughs> right, like that if right. we were, uh, so we had a, we had a name for that character originally that um ah okay that, that the um, localization teams came back. The lawyers actually said, "Hey, you know, this is actually a term that still exists, hmm. and and it means something to a different culture. And you should you should really think twice about using something in a way just to invoke some cool nostalgia sense. Yeah, when it's part of someone's active culture, it's like I don't sure. know if that's cool. And we agreed, They're like we we shouldn't do that. And well, then another another one. Oh, if you wouldn't mind holding sure, that thoughts no, before I lose this hot. It happened. Years later, we're working on um, Halo Chronicles, which was a canceled project. It was supposed to be... It became ODST? Yeah, ODST, Mm -hmm. which was a completely, completely different project. Um, Chronicles was a collaboration between us and a New Zealand studio, uh, which was um, uh, Peter Jackson's Mm -hmm. uh, uh, film company. And we thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, this character as it's being affected by some forerunner technology or it is born of forerunner technology, it had these patterns and designs illuminating them, sort of like Cortana does. Mm-hmm. But it looks, maybe it harkens back to, say, the uh, tattoos that we see on, like... Uh, Maui Museum. tribesmen. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, that's very sensitive. Um, you know, cult- Maui is Maori? I'm not sure how you pronounce it's it It's a weird either. combination yeah, yeah. of vowels. I don't want to trip on my tongue. Maori? To, yeah. Well, I, anyway, yeah. you know what I mean. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh they they were like you know it's sort of like saying hey there's something about that other person's culture the way we might say hey let's put on a headdress uh, like a native american headdress and wouldn't that be cool if right, we went to a party right, right. and we had that cool like well that's somebody else's culture that you're just co-opting and it's to a bit different make it if a it's costume. culture of the past yeah, yeah i mean versus so they they said let's not pursue that specific uh, avenue and they were right you know mm-hmm. to, to suggest that to us but that would have been kind of cool yeah. though yeah so we took like a different approach mm-hmm. but uh, so uh, there are things that when you're producing content for the whole world to consume it's not just about um, what does the consumer think about but you know um, what do I as an artist think and you're collaborating with another artist and you don't mm-hmm. know what their background is like so uh, I kind of I guess to keep harping examples on the same topic mm-hmm. I suppose um for the last three years at GDC, uh, I'm going to keep my story kind of vague mm-hmm. to prevent any form of identification. But um, I met this the same individual, right? He always came up to the booth, always talked, super nice guy. And uh, uh, this past year, learned tons of information from him. He was, again, super nice guy. But uh, there was a game there about a particular, um, um, I want to say like African culture, um, a warrior culture, and it was a fighting game type mm-hmm. thing, right? Um, and it was a cool game, and it was, it was really neat. Um, and um, 
what's interesting is, is this guy was actually from that country. Mm-hmm. Um, not only from that country, but it was part of like the old monarchy of that mm-hmm. country. And his family was actually the royal family mm-hmm. that was ousted by the Europeans when they rolled in and just took mm-hmm. over everything. And so he had a kind of a different take on the warrior caste of that mm-hmm. country and the terrible things that have happened mm-hmm. to the people there. And it was just interesting that it was just like, oh, yeah, that's my history. Like, mm-hmm. not even just right. the history of my com- country. Yeah. It's literally my history. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, all right. So I don't know if this is accurate or yeah. <laughs> not then. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting when you talk about, like, active history, like, active cultures, active mm-hmm. histories. And you, and you don't even think, like... Even histories that are kind of ended might still be active to someone somewhere, and, and I get you—you're you're never going to avoid kind of offending everyone's mm-hmm. sort of deal or, or anyone, you know. But uh, but it is interesting the the stuff that you sort of don't think about, even if you do your homework and do your research. So um, to kind of circle back around um, the the difficulty in undertakings and trying to figure all that stuff out is is pretty yeah pretty hefty. Um, certainly an interesting thing, and you know I don't really even know what sort of strategies exist to i mean besides again hiring cultural experts what kind of strategies even exist to to mitigate you know the potential risks there yeah uh, i think what poses the greatest challenge for gamers and specifically like indie game makers Mm -hmm. moving forward is being able to reach a global market or audience and they can now right because Mm -hmm. steam means you don't have to physically produce a disc in Mexico or in Hong Kong and then get it distributed mm-hmm. uh, around sure, the local right, territory. Absolutely. It's like, no, it's just online and anybody can have it. Yeah. And, I mean, but then how do you scaling get it, it even lower? Yeah. I can just yeah. put an execute on my website. I mean, That's there's true. literally yeah. like right. millions of yeah, you can of... HTML5 game. And mm-hmm. it's like now, boom, instantly any, everybody has access to exactly. it. Exactly. And I often find myself asking, well, this idea that I'm playing with, is it is it a fair representation of the concept or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I find myself getting um, maybe petrified or just like stalled. Concern, and I'm, yeah. I'm like, you know what? I was thinking about this on the drive over. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't um, overthink it. You can try your best. Just take a shot. And if it's wrong, that's okay. Approach let, it honestly. And then it, yeah, not in let an the audience, to be offensive. Yeah, let, yeah, let the just, audience communicate back to you and then move forward from there and say, mm-hmm. and maybe – it's inevitable. Your product look, looks like something that came out of that specific time. It has these, it's it has its own blind spots. It's mm-hmm. um, it's ignorant in these issues, mm-hmm. or it represents the way things are right now. Like um, I was just reading articles about how uh, Indiana Jones is actually a terrible person. You know, oh, he is a terrible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, really? Because <laughs> I idolize that guy. And then when you read the article, you're like, oh yeah, that was pretty crappy. Yeah, this is terrible. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but now we understand. Well, he was a product of the authorship of that time, and yeah, you know, and, oh, sure, you know, whatever. right, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I, I totally just had a point. It totally just escaped <laughs> my mind. But uh, yeah, I mean, ignorance to some extent certainly has to be okay. I mean, it, there's, there's no way it's not because I mean, if, but it, big difference between ignorance and just say jumping onto a stereotype. Oh, I, I remember. So I'm, I'm watching through Power Rangers with my kids. We started <laughs> yeah. the Power Rangers, back, starting with the 1995 Power <laughs> Rangers. Amazing. Because every time you actually see the monster or the Power Rangers, it's that old found footage mm-hmm. and you see like Japanese flags in the background and it's somehow every person the monsters attack is always Japanese and you never put two and two together because uh-huh. they'll show like hundreds of Japanese people running away mm-hmm. and then like cut to all these like blonde haired, blue eyed teenage kids, you know, <laughs> right. with the modern f- f- uh-huh. video. But anyway, um, and I'm watching through this and I'm thinking, 
you know, Zach, uh, the African-American, is the Black Ranger. Uh-huh. Trini, the Asian, is the Yellow Ranger. <laughs> uh, Kimberly is the Pink Ranger. I mean, it's just like... It plays to all the, like, yeah, the yeah, cliches. Yeah, it's just of, like, like, wow, yeah. like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, there's a little bit difference between this plenty of grids and just, like, buy it into, like, cultural, like... It's, I always take it, like, I, I, I when you see the Shaolin Kung Fu monk, can you think, mm-hmm. all right, besides being a super tired cliche, mm-hmm. it's just like... That's really not what they were about. <laughs> That's kind of the exact opposite of what they were about. Um, but we use it creatively as – like well, I'm saying we, meaning authors of content, use it mm-hmm. because it's a shorthand that the, a wide audience will immediately grasp, accurate or not. Mm-hmm. That's what we understand. But it really is right? just a stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. I mean at right. the end of the day, yeah. you know, whether you view that as okay or not okay, I guess it depends on how close you are to real Shaolin monks, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, again, interesting like – ignorance versus just straight up like ah, i'm just gonna play to the stereotypes yeah. you know because then you walk a very dangerous path and i'm sure you know american stereotypes there's no <laughs> real end to those <laughs> and uh i guess one of the biggest stereotypes i'd have to have about america is that we probably would embrace the american stereotypes <laughs> most people when they say bad things about america most americans are like yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're proud of our ignorance <laughs> our, and our, our really yeah. bad, bad yeah. stereotypes america you know? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. but yeah um anyway i thought that was cool talking to them about uh about their target markets and they, and they do make games again for their their local markets mm-hmm. as well but it's just such a small population wise mm-hmm. Um, uh, econ- economic-wise uh, market that it's really not their main market, even as though it's where they live. Mm-hmm. So certainly very um, uh, very neat to see that sort of globalization of the market. And really, I guess you could say that video games are kind of the first market to be almost truly global. And definitely not the first. I mean, you have web markets, stuff like that that's been before. But, but really, I mean, where you're actually shipping product not just a static site that, mm-hmm. that viewers from around the world come to you to see, but you're actually pushing product, whether it's physical or not. Um, video games are really one of the first where you're, you're pushing actual product out to other regions and stuff like that. It's interesting to see a whole market kind of come about making that okay in, in the safest way possible. Yeah, because in the States, we've always just assumed that, yeah, when a game comes out from, say, Electronic Arts or Activision or one of the large mm-hmm. indie uh, developers – that it'll have global reach well because of decades worth of of infrastructure being built into the marketplace and mm-hmm. how to get right. get it around and now we live in a world where you know there there are other digital marketplaces that can push content out very rapidly and they're all across over the world. borders yeah 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 i mean i remember kind of a, again a, a sort of an anecdote um uh, a family member of mine back during President Obama's mm. first term, like his first year, and he said something along the lines of, "Is there was concern that Obama was going to turn off the internet, <laughs> got to cut off America from the internet. Uh-huh. And I said, well, you know, if you were to put up a wall right now blocking the internet from, from crossing the Atlantic and the Pacific, you'd basically be cutting the rest of the world off from the internet because America is the internet. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, that's not so true. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's only taken maybe five years mm-hmm. to happen. And, and now there's a lot of content out there. I mean, you, even you, probably three years ago, did you ever go to a website that wasn't a dot com or a dot org? No. Or a dot net, yeah, you know? Yeah, but yeah. now there's like, you know, dot UK or dot co dot UKs, dot ME's, dot PL's, dot NR's, right? The, the, all these different companies or countries, 
uh, web URLs, and you go to them for content all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, I'm, it would be bad if I couldn't access right, that, right. that country's web content. Something that blew my mind recently I was doing research for a game that was based on a European theme, mm-hmm. and I was having trouble getting enough uh, background research material. Happened to be hosting someone from that country. It was, in, it was a French person. Okay. And they said, oh, well, I would search for it this way. And they went to YouTube, and they just typed it in, but with a French spelling. Mm. Music versus musique. And, ah. the, and the name, you know, uh, with a French spelling, not the, the English spelling, and bam. Uh, I didn't even know YouTube had all this other content. There are other volumes letters? Volumes and volumes and volumes <laughs> and volumes it's of research material. It's YouTube. You know, I was like, oh, my God, it's all here. And I just never – because I have this – Veil over me. Everything's in English. Everything's American. YouTube's mm-hmm. an American website. We're a bit spoiled, right? Yeah. It, it, uh, it gives, gave me a completely different perspective. Like this computer means a completely different world of information to someone else. All I have to do is slide it over to the next person. Imagine if you use a non-Latin alphanumeric keyboard. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. All the other keys that right. you don't have. Right. <laughs> Words you couldn't even look right. up if you wanted uh-huh. to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now we're getting deep. Yeah. We're almost philosophical there. All right. Probably can move on to the next yeah. topic then. Um, so, yeah. And you, you brought – before I, I mm-hmm. cut off, mm-hmm. you pretty much said your piece yeah. on that. I didn't know if you had any other – Yeah, I'm sure people are bored of the idea of – I don't know. We could just keep not. telling stories about my family. <laughs> I, got, I got lots of them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Okay. So, uh you know, it's it's. I, I don't want to make every podcast episode about destiny. I don't. I really don't. But <laughs> I'm just playing it a lot mm-hmm. these days. It's got me. I went back to play it almost ironically, and because a buddy <laughs> of mine was playing it, and then I just got hooked again. So now, like, I literally stay up all night and then get up like at five uh-huh. in the morning to play mm-hmm. after. Like, I'm. It's bad. I'm just disgustingly addicted. But <laughs> um, but I, I. So I was. I was doing some content and uh, I'm using the the Destiny LFG website, right? So it's destinylookingforgroup.com. Okay. And because to me, again, the just to my ever d- despite, I guess, ire, whatever, there's no matchmaking for hiring content. That just drives me absolutely insane because uh, I don't have six friends. I really mm-hmm. don't. I don't mm-hmm. have six friends in this whole world, let alone people with Xboxes. Um, and so I think at the most I've ever played with two friends at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and at any rate, uh, so I'm, I'm using this website to, to find players. I'm just sitting here thinking, this is so dumb because the reason it doesn't exist in the game is because they want people to form groups and, man, you know, but I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Right, no one else is. We're all using this website, yeah. so it's we're not. You're not achieving what you want to achieve mm-hmm. uh, by by just saying no. You're just making us find some other way mm-hmm. to do it. It's prohibition, basically, uh-huh. right? Where we're just finding another yeah. way to do it, and we're it's the organized crime of of raid <laughs> fighting, I guess. Um, and so it got me thinking: at what point is it okay? For developers, and in this situation, uh, Bungie specifically just doesn't want matchmaking. Mm-hmm. And I get that, okay, that's a design choice. I don't like it, but mm-hmm. it's not my game. So, you know, they make the decisions they want to make. But a lot of times, uh, a, a game uh, will, you know, I will say, a, or or a game engine, because mm-hmm. this is a criticism we get a lot mm-hmm. at Unity, um, will not have certain functionality because community members have made that functionality and community members make the functionality because it doesn't exist in the game. But at one, what point is it okay for a company to say, you know what, we're not going to add it to the game because a very viable Mm -hmm. solution already exists. We're not going to put our devs on that. We're going to spend time doing this other thing that doesn't have a solution. Uh And 
is that an okay strategy? How much work should really be offloaded to the community? Is that okay? You know, it's a mixed bag of emotion on that. But what do you think about that? I think we're entering a really interesting phase of uh, of games as a medium where it's transforming itself from a fixed product. Like I bought this disc. It doesn't change. I just mm-hmm. put it in my computer and I play it till it's completed. I say I – well, in America we say we beat the game. Sure. Yeah, we defeated the game. What do they we, say it anywhere else? Well, they say, you know, I, I finished it or I solved it or I completed okay. it. Whereas in America we have a very specific like like I – Conquered it. I, I conquered it. Yeah, yeah. very, very well, you impressive. Put, you, obviously, no one else can see this because it's just voice only. But he put up the air quotes <laughs> when he said "beat the game," uh-huh. and so I was like, it's "Like, how do you actually? What did you go to? You know, slay the designer? Like, well, you know? once I finished the game, I was destroy the disc because that's <laughs> right, me beating the game. Yeah, beating the game. Uh, no, right. But now we see that the games are being offered as services. You yeah, know, right. Destiny, for example, is, has a, is a game. ten year plan. Yeah, or ten something. year plan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's constantly evolving. Uh, you know, big changes planned for September when the latest deals, uh, well, now it's not even DLC. It's an expand, like sure, expansion. big proper expansions coming mm-hmm. out. Um, year two. Year two. Um, we're seeing Dota's League of Legends, Heroes of the yeah, Storm. Yeah, talk about living community yeah, games. Yeah, you know. they're all being offered um, on that premise. And um, that is transforming the game from a fixed thing that we all understand and can put on a shelf and it stays that forever. And maybe we revisit with our kids. Mm-hmm. So sort of like power Rangers season one from 1995, it's not going to be like that anymore. You will not be able to play uh year one destiny. You can't go back. You cannot. Yeah. Even if when your kid is old enough to play destiny, you can't say, Oh, you can go and play it. Now those first missions like I did, you won't. It'll have changed. It will have patched it in some way. Something will have. If there was an exploit, it's not like you can even choose to not upgrade. Even if it's not a multiplayer game, you turn it on for the first time. It says an update's available, and Uh until you install it, you can't play the game. So games are fundamentally not what they used to be. They're not like books that get printed and you can put them on the shelves. That's a first edition. It's got all the same typos, the Mm -hmm. same page number. No, it doesn't exist like that anymore. It's more like an oral tradition now that's being told over and over and over again. Um, and it's going to continue to evolve. By the way, I have a book you can buy it. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I want to get back to your book. Uh, remind me to, cause I saw it just today. Um, and furthermore, these so- the software as a service, games as a service, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're basically these platforms now. Even though I have a Windows computer, I have Facebook on it, and I consider Facebook, even though I have a com- Windows based computer, and I can use Chrome or Internet Explorer. Facebook's not just a website anymore. Yeah, it's, it really is a service. No, yeah, it's a yeah. it's a big. It's like I do stuff. I can play games. I can communicate with friends. You can use it to authenticate yeah, on other websites. Right. I get a lot of news actually from Facebook now because. Okay. I look at what people are talking about. Half the topics I've ever suggested for our podcast come from like what's active on my wall right now. Oh, nice. everybody's talking about this. Everybody's talking about that. So then we talk about that kind of thing. And I think games much more so now than I before. I follow the people you follow. I just get pictures of cats. That's like all I get. Well, it. yeah, it's like, you know, a cat, funny little dog picture, and then, you know, something about games. Um, anyways, so I'm seeing us transform from, hey, here was this game that I enjoyed in isolation to, hey, here is a platform that continues to evolve mm-hmm. over time and I use it to create my own content mm-hmm. and consume content produced by others. I think you play Destiny 1 because it has an addictive um, yeah. loot. Uh, I'm a sucker. Loop. Yeah, you're yeah. a sucker. But two, and I think you may have said this last time we, we had a podcast, it's the social aspect. Mm-hmm. You enjoy having a community. Mm-hmm. 
I, I enjoy showing off. And showing off. Yeah. Okay. So unlike, well, in Facebook, you post beautiful pictures from Ukraine that you might have taken this last trip, right? Mm-hmm. And in Destiny, you get to show off a really cool shader or weapon set that you just earned, mm-hmm. right? And then it gives you something to talk about or to, to you know, water cooler uh, around within sure. the game. Mm-hmm. It's become now a social platform. It's not just a game in and of itself. So I think user-created community, that's that's been big and evolving since the 90s is becoming really important now Mm -hmm. and so i think mods are also a big part of that but at what point what point does something stop being a mod and start being a critical part of the gaming experience so what i'm proposing is that that's actually what game makers are now doing Mm -hmm. they might not be telling you that up front they may be saying i'm creating this game for you because that's what you understand but in truth they're creating an open-ended platform for you to do a whole bunch of stuff including Mm -hmm. make Whole new games. Sure. You know, some games do it. Well, Project right, like, Spark was yeah. that whole Spark, idea. right. Uh, yeah. Half-Life released with Even their Gary's mod yeah. was, yeah. Um, I mean, if you go to Barnes & Noble, I will see your book mm-hmm. and Sam's you Learn Unity in 24 Hours. And maybe two books away from it is Sam's uh, Minecraft in right. 20, or mm-hmm. Minecraft uh, book. And like, what do you need a book as thick as learning how to program and design games in Unity to just be about Minecraft? It's, well, it's because it's a, it's modding. If you open it up, it's full of code. Sure. If you go a little bit, you know, 30 feet away and go to the periodical sections, you go to the gaming, there's a magazine, beautiful, glossy magazine dedicated to, to the platform for PlayStation, for mm-hmm. Xbox One, Nintendo, maybe a retro you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, gaming, something dedicated to gaming hardware. I even saw a magazine dedicated to a whole genre about mm-hmm. uh, MMOs, for example. But there was only one periodical dedicated to a single game. Again, it was Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And if you open it up, it's about all the different mods that are out there. So it's a hugely popular game, but what it really is is a platform for further development for people to create new sure. experiences for everyone to yeah, share. Yeah, Minecraft is kind of an oddball, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of those breaks of a rule, but in the right way. Right and- ways, and it's redefined, I think, what people expect of games. Like back in 2007, you might have, oh, look at this novel thing they added to Halo. It's a, a forge mode where you can take pre-built assets and create whatever mm-hmm. kind of weird jumps and maze and battle arena you want to. And I would argue, but that's only because that was console. And so mm-hmm. there's really always been very limits, mm-hmm. very large limits to what you can do on console. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's changing. Apparently yeah. modding is going to become much more viable yeah. on, on console. But, but I mean, even on PC, again, mods are things like, like I played a lot of Unreal Tournament. I mm-hmm. loved that game. Like all the special, like, uh, uh, customer built or community mm-hmm. built where there were like race tracks and people with uh-huh. guns trying to, you know, it was, it was super cool. And, you know, you, you got those mods, you've got that content where they take game pieces and they build something new or unique, even if there is some scripting involved and that's fine, but that doesn't re- replace core functionality, mm-hmm. like something that you feel is kind of missing from the game altogether. Right. And, and, you know, I, I use the example of the Destiny's Link for group, but there's plenty of other, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, like when 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 the number one um, um, help archive for issues of a game is not owned by the company, but uh-huh. it's owned by the community, uh-huh. right? Like, oh, you're having trouble. This website will uh-huh. help you, and you think, well, that's great. It's uh-huh. fantastic that the community uh-huh. did that. Yeah. Should the community have had to do that? Yeah, right. And and I mean, at one side, I'm glad the community did because you need that. But on the other side, it's like it kind of sucks that that even had to happen. Mm-hmm. And is that 
developers being lazy or is because I hate the develop, lazy developer. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone says lazy right. developers, and as a developer, yeah. we're not lazy. Yeah. We're just really freaking busy. Yeah. Um, but is that developers being lazy versus uh, developers just couldn't get to it versus oh something already exists? We're not mm-hmm. going to bother. You know, apathetic, right, so right. to speak. Or um, it's an intentional choice to ensure that the community is healthy because people have a sense of ownership. So you're, you're saying that it's almost like intentionally left out it's, so the people will unify together yes. against a common enemy? Well, not that it's necessarily a common enemy. But you know enemy. what I mean, like they'll right. forge together right. in right. a time of strife. Yeah. It's the real-life raid, everyone <laughs> coming together to beat your lack of documentation. <laughs> right. That's right. the raid boss. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it, there definitely is a component uh, in game development now where you realize we can create a much healthier, self-sustaining mm-hmm. fan community who will evangelize, help us yep. improve and defend the product, mm-hmm. do all these things if we can give them some safe area to own. Mm-hmm. And um, companies like Bungie learned a long time ago around the marathon and myth properties that if you give people a way of creating forums, of creating tournaments, mm-hmm. of um, archiving this rich Byzantine backstory, mm-hmm. uh, I mean – just look at I Love Bees from Halo 2. Like, look at all that stuff. None, none of that is from... I Love Bees? I Love Bees was this viral marketing campaign for uh, Halo 2 that was... Somehow I missed that. I have no idea what that is. Oh, just look it up. I think it'll blow your mind. Um, this okay. was in like 2003. Ah, I was in Iraq. For <laughs> the entirety. Okay, all right. never mind. You had, you had some other things on your mind then. It's funny how often something's like, when did that, that happen? Happened. And someone goes, oh, 2003, 2004. Yeah, yeah. I'm when, just like, oh, that's yeah, yeah. how many were, little things yeah, you miss. When you were defending the country's uh, <laughs> interests in the Middle East and putting your ass on the line, that's when we did this little silly thing called a game. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever your opinions on the situation might be. But yeah. Um, anyway, okay, so yeah. I, I'll have to look that up. I've yeah. never heard so of that. So I Love Bees was this marketing campaign that was uh, – teased through a movie trailer okay it just it was just like two frames i'm writing that down it was like le- on the screen for like less than a, an eighth of a second and these. and so people hey did you see that thing on screen for like just a second it was like a bit, bit of text it looks like it was a website people go to the website and they're like oh it's just some weird non-related website mm-hmm. and then they go hey did you go back to that website something happened to it and then they unravel it's amazing it. how often the websites become such an integral part i mean yeah. if you've ever played sword and sorcery um, at the end, there's this phone number that they list. So it's a oh, number, and then you're okay. like, eventually you realize the phone yeah. number, and you call it, and there's a voice that's just like, come back at such and such a time. You're like, what was that? Yeah, like, yeah, for, yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, it's cool. Yeah. I am going to throw another story out there, okay. just because it made me think of it, and I actually think it was kind of funny. So I'm going to name drop again. My friend Jake, because those were my name drops. Uh, <laughs> when I got back from overseas, I basically was like, what I miss? And he goes, there was a band called The Darkness. That was about it. And so that was my re-entry primer to all culture yeah. that I had missed. And The Darkness was an awesome band. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I missed a few things. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to look out the, okay. the I Love Bees there. Yeah, well, by the way, the designer of that particular marketing game mm-hmm. was a guy named Elon Lee mm-hmm. who went on to do a bunch of stuff. He did uh, a similar thing for the movie AI. Okay. And then uh, – With Robin Williams? No, no, no. That you're thinking of another one. AI is the what Steven Spielberg is about. Um, a little boy, the little kid. Okay, little kid yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yep. Um, and then kept developing the idea, but then his most recent collaboration was uh, with the uh, the guy who does the web comic, the Oatmeal. Oh, okay, and they did the uh, exploding kittens. 
uh, ah. game that was that blew up. Yeah, uh, Kickstarter literally blew up. Yeah, <laughs> well, figuratively because yeah. it did literally blow well, up. Well, you never know, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was um, that's Elon Lee, that that mm-hmm. designer uh, working in um, either you know real world or yeah. tabletop games. Uh, so I guess the suppose the after my long bit of tangents there to loop us back around. Um, what's your, what, what do you think? Cause I actually have never asked you, so I'm really actually curious to know the answer. What, uh, what do you think about early access? Uh, I've never actually participated because mm-hmm. I have such little time that I don't want to be frustrated with technical <laughs> difficulties. Sure. I'd rather have it bubble up to me. Like so this is not, a finished product. Yeah. And this is good. There's enough trouble working with PC software that I don't need the problems of early access. So you're not a first adopter then? No. No, generally not. So I um, unless it's a friends game, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm one of those on the fence people. Um, I have purchased several early access titles. I've enjoyed them thoroughly. Um, uh, Besiege, uh, early access title, <laughs> tons of fun. You see all sorts mm-hmm. of uh, just about that on the internet. Um, the forest stuff like that, and uh, and on one hand, you know. Super, super cool to have this access and whatever, potentially able to get it cheaper, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I was, like millions of others, part of the Minecraft, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. alpha or beta where mm-hmm. you paid for it and you had it before it was mm-hmm. technically released and it was forever in, inside that period. But there's there's also that, that thought or that consensus, which I, I also agree with, um, that it's basically making users pay to test your game for you mm-hmm. so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I mean... For every good story that comes out of early access, uh, there are many bad stories mm-hmm. where they just take your money and stop developing because it specifically says that they may never do any yeah, more work right. whatsoever. Um, and so, again, it kind of falls into that theme of community. Do you push the work onto the community um, or make the community take up this mantle um, to lessen your workload? And is that okay? Is it... Is it just the way the market is going? We had talked before about how games are getting so expensive to make. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the only way to make right. a viable game yeah. anymore. Yeah, two things that I see is, one, unless we as consumers are willing to adjust with inflation and pay $110 per game, then we can't expect the same experience that we were getting 10 to 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Where like, yeah, we're spending gobs and gobs of time f- making every single feature, testing it thoroughly, and putting it out for that price. Mm-hmm. Now we're saying, hey, effectively, I'm earning half t- to less than half of what I was earning before. Especially the things like on Steam, who pays 60 bucks? You know, I rarely pay $60 or sure. $50 for a piece sure. of software on Steam. I mean, you will if you buy and, it new, but yeah. yeah. Um, so can you afford to take – yeah, I'm going to take three years' worth of development uh, – resources and bank that this is going to work for sure mm-hmm. i'm going to spend it all well that is the market i mean that's what or, or was the was market. the market yeah but now we're saying uh no i'm not willing to pay that much it was like, well then i can't give you every single feature mm-hmm. what i can give you are the core three features and a couple of things that you're going to have to help me evolve based on your taste because i cannot afford to pay a marketing team and a r&d team and a user research team to go figure out a best guess as to what that might be. So what changed? Why guys... doesn't that work anymore? Well, it stopped working a long time. Why do you think there are no more B studios in games development? Well, you they love all... bees. Huh? You love bees. <laughs> no, 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 I love bees. No, B studios. There are no more middle tier game companies out there because if they guess wrong as to what the audience really wants, 
they're out of money. Give I mean, me an example of what you would consider a, a B studio, without being offensive to anyone who might. Okay, know, anyone term. making a horror game. So Silent Hill. Yeah. Was a, a B level development. I would say it has to be. It has to change because uh, you're never going to sell more than three to f- maybe if you're lucky five million copies. Such a niche market. Such a niche, and people are like five million. You're like, well, yeah, maybe fifteen. 20 years ago, 5 million was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And you were making 60 bucks a copy. Now you're selling maybe 5 million copies at $60 when your cost of development tripled to quadrupled. And what caused the cost of development to go high? Well, the number of polygons that you can put on screen. Sure. The fact that uh, we all want health benefits. Yeah. The fact that uh, we're getting older and we have kids now and we don't want to crunch 80 hours a week anymore. It's not a young man's game anymore. No, now it, it's open yeah, to everyone. Yeah. And here's another big one. Because it is a global market, now you also have to uh, support the sales and marketing team that expands the globe. And and so that it's not support. just the developer's cost. It's all that other mm-hmm. indirect cost that your product sure. now has to overcome. So another reason why I think digital and having indies work directly with their community mm-hmm. is interesting. It's less cost. And one of the ways it's less cost is, hey, I can afford to show you the product earlier than I would have otherwise. If I had an extra $60 million in the bank, I could develop this thing in in a, in a vacuum, mm-hmm. guessing as to what you wanted. I could do that. But instead, I don't, I don't have those resources. What I'll do is I'll release it to you early and you tell me, am I on the right track? And because of that custom experience. Yeah. And because of that, one, the product will be more to what you actually want. And And two, it'll be, it'll be a, yeah. Yeah. And if it's a loser, it's a loser. And we all, the community and the developer finds out early enough to stop. Except the community Uh, paid for it. Except for the community paid for it. But you're, it's not the same as if they had paid 150 bucks Uh, up front because that's truly the only other way to make this work Mm -hmm. is like, Hey, Halo 5 is going to come out and it's going to cost them. I'm just guessing now, several hundred million to make. I would say and, that's a safe guess, yeah. yeah. Oh, then what would be the, if they could, what would they charge for? Probably 110 bucks a copy. Oh, are they going to? Hell no. So then how are they no. going to recoup their costs? It has to be through DLC. Mm-hmm. It has to be, you know, finding um, uh, production partners who can work less, less cheaply. <laughs> Merchandise. Or saying, hey, we're willing to eat it on this because we're going to, Use it to unroll new Xbox Live feature that will have a lot of subscribers or get us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll make it up some other way. And that's an interesting tactic there yeah. to actually break even or, or eat loss on a main product because the subsidiary products will end up being what floats you. Yeah. So I think early access as a strategy for those who have the time and mm-hmm. interest is an interesting solution for mm-hmm. uh, developers. Now, I would say someone who does have the war chest to go and do a proper full development, do the research so that everything can be a wonderful surprise for the consumer. I think that's great. I would Mm -hmm. love to play games where, and this is one of the reasons why I don't do early access. If I really wanted it, I want to experience it in its most perfect, I guess you could say, form. Without saying like this has already been kind of There's only certain games I I would early access, like multiplayer-based games. Mm -hmm. There really Mm -hmm. isn't that whole like... Right, right. uh, But there's, I mean, there's a neat feeling of evolving with the game Mm -hmm. too. There used to be a lake here. Now there's this huge temple. Right. That's pretty awesome. You know, you can say, I remember how it was. Mm -hmm. Again, back to the social element, you can be like, you noobs don't know anything. I was here when when the backwards jumping while grabbing your butt boss... Mm -hmm glitch was still right. there and i and another thing about early access that i think it's just what we ended up calling something but 
in truth, software as a service always runs that way. I have yeah. the core features in place. Mm-hmm. There are just other things that aren't f- finished or don't even exist, but will be added over time. Yeah. And the way I describe that to you, Mr. Who I, you know, or Mr. and Miss Consumer who expects a finished product, I'll just call it early access. So it kind of makes sense to you. Because you but don't want to say alpha. And you don't want to say, hey, my game is actually a service. Mm-hmm. It's not a fixed product. Um, even Minecraft, when it went retail, I'm sure it's continuing to evolve. It's still getting patched. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. It's still being modded. So what was the difference between it being beta and... There's a beta? certain level of support you can expect to receive. Okay, it's right. pretty much it. Like You can expect a stable environment uh-huh, because right, it's, right. it's released. Uh-huh. Um, but no one would... I mean, well, maybe some people were like, Windows 1 sucked. I can't believe I paid for that. It wasn't <laughs> until, what, Windows 3.3... Uh, that people were like, hey, this Windows thing is really giving uh, the Mac a run for its money. Windows 2.9, Windows for Workgroups. <laughs> you like that? That was that was my jam. <laughs> All right? So I don't want to hear anything about this Windows 3.3 crap. 2.9, Windows for Workgroups. Uh, I, I had my first printer, and I printed barbed wire stationery so I could be the coolest kid at my school. Right. And you did not have <laughs> – and you didn't have multimedia extensions on Windows 2.9. No. But did you feel ripped off uh, that you were – that you had bought a machine with Windows 2.9. Um, no, you didn't. It's like, no. well, this is the software. Well, nothing else existed, existed at the time. Right, you know, right. It didn't... And just same with these games. It's like, well, nothing else exists. This is the game, mm-hmm. you know, sure. whatever, and yeah. it will continue to evolve over time. All major games are going to run on that model so long as they're based on the Internet. But it does bring up an interesting point that if the core game becomes a service and quote unquote lives forever. Mm-hmm. Never falls off your radio. It lives forever. And dies forever, right? If it if they stop. Well I suppose, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then so there's the initial burst of money, mm-hmm. but then how do you I mean obviously we know the answer. How do you keep making money? Mm-hmm. And the answer is things like DLCs and stuff like that. But but really, the DLC is being so much cheaper than the original product. Sure, the development is cheaper because you don't have to, uh, to do as much content, and a lot of the art assets and stuff are already done. And the engine cost has been—you're yeah. you're basically using the same. But, it, engine but it's again. interesting to start thought exercising mm-hmm. the whole thing out. It's like the product is done. There's no more influx of money from this, right? This content, yes. and so that kind of that kind of means that the players will perpetually be bleeding money. Over the experience, which I guess there are anyway when mm-hmm. they change games, but it's interesting when you actually put it in the thought to say, this is going to live forever and I'm just going to, it's basically a monthly subscription at that yes, point. Yes, yep. Yeah. Right. All games are basically monthly subscriptions right, right. And, and of some amount. As we discussed uh, in weeks previous, there, there are clever ways of masking that. Mm-hmm. You can sell someone a toy, mm-hmm. but that toy is actually DLC. DLC. In fact, what's even sneakier is that the DLC wasn't even downloaded. It was already there. It was yeah. just unlocked. Yeah. Um, which is very common, yeah, actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, like, I, I believe when I got uh, the the expansions for Destiny, it was mm-hmm. a 8 kilobyte download or 8 megabyte <laughs> download or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. All the content's yeah. already there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, that is kind of uh, – stuff's already there. You do mask it, hide it, uh-huh. and sort of – but it is kind of the way – I guess it's all going. I kind right. of feel like – Yeah, and we did it to ourselves as consumers. Uh, it is much simpler to make a non-internet required game. Absolutely, right? Much easier. But you won't find a platform that will even let you do it anymore. Yeah, you know, Steam requires the hooks. All all platforms require it now. Reselling and piracy killed it. Killed yeah. retail games as we know them because I would play the game. 
it became more and more expensive to make the game, so I couldn't make a 20-hour campaign. Then, I could afford to make an 8-hour campaign. Well, guess what? That means Johnny gets to buy one game on a, you know, on a Tuesday and that by the next weekend he's finished it already and he can take it to GameStop and he can sell it. Mm-hmm. Within the first week of the game's release. So that means the publisher and the developer are not collecting any new revenues. GameStop is, but not the developer. I have my own opinions about that without trying to be negative, yeah. but I always feel that that's developers why, should receive secondary market. Yeah. So that's cuts. why I'm like, oh, yeah. hey, let's make online multiplayer a really key feature so that you can't trade in your disc yeah. in order to, to unlock, uh, you know, keep that content going for you yourself. And that's why DLC for a while was free and continues to be for certain games. Sure. If you're trying to build up um, a community. Absolutely. Because multiplayer is what make games last well beyond mm-hmm. their shelf life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Halo existed far longer than, right. than any other game because the multiplayer was so fun. I mean, you were playing Halo up until the day Halo 2 right. came out. You know? Yeah, and if you're um, a first-party publisher like Microsoft was, you'd see the difference. You're like, holy cow. People are hanging on mm-hmm. to their Halo discs way longer than our other titles, even though yeah. we were promoting the other titles a lot more heavily. Why? Oh, because they have the, that multiplayer component and so that becomes more that's when you see the suits kind of pushing on everybody hey you need multiplayer or you need to do something similar so that we don't see the discs back in the channel uh just so -hmm. quickly and so that you are missing a key part of Mm -hmm. our gamer history though Mm -hmm. that's the period between the game and the dr or the, the dlc which was the time of fire and agony known as the extreme drm uh, oh, the, right. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've legitimately owned a game that I couldn't install yeah. uh, because of just insane levels of DRM. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I have nightmares about cyclical redundancy errors. <laughs> and anyone who's ever played any of the original Call of Duties mm-hmm. um, or pretty much any games built with a lot of that DRM tech mm-hmm. knows the term cyclical redundancy <laughs> error. Um, and that was before the internet was useful for figuring yeah. that stuff out. Uh, and so, God, so you're, I, I would take DLC over DRM any day of the week. Um, though I confession time, I did pirate Starcraft, the original, I never <laughs> paid for it. I played it a lot. I'm sorry, Blizzard. Yeah. Uh, my apologies. I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember, well, my introduction to games was on floppy disks mm-hmm. where they, they would exploit, um, read, write error. Yeah things to copy protect uh their discs and, mm-hmm. and yeah like half of learning to play a game was to get a cracked copy mm-hmm. it comes with no documentation and you got to figure jams. out what key presses do what half of them were viruses <laughs> yeah well well i <laughs> we I, started, I started i started playing games before there was such a thing as a virus because <laughs> like how are you going to put a virus on a machine that had to load the games off of a floppy or a tape cassette it's like what you have to reboot the machine to physically turn it on off so any virus that you might have installed one probably took up all the memory so you couldn't even <laughs> load the game and two it just got wiped the second you rebooted the machine yeah, to load, load another game so what was the point good time <laughs> that's the key to all of it is just go backwards in computing power yeah, and then right, you won't have those right. problems anymore uh-huh. hmm. fantastic um anything else i guess to add on the kind of just sort of veered way off of what the original topic even was, but I guess there is no. We're talking there. about early access. That was the topic, right? No, the, no, no, the no. Top, that was that was a tangent to the original topic, which was that whole community content versus. Okay. Um, I think yeah. So my my too long didn't read assessment is it is going to become a vital part of gaming from now on. Yeah. It is actually an intentional, uh, 
component of the design of large uh, games that are meant to... You would to... say it's intentional? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm Intentionally absolute... building voids. And not... Voids and functionality. I'm saying building built. fields of open space mm-hmm. for people to create, to author and own content mm-hmm. that doesn't violate, uh, I don't know if canon is the right word, the, sure. the rule I... set or the actual code of the game. Mm-hmm. All I'm owning is the code that governs combat and inventory building. And you make available hooks. Everything else is up to you guys. And I don't want to say it to you guys because then you don't feel like you discovered it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel like you discovered it and you made it, then you don't feel like you owned it. You felt like we were condescending to you and letting, patting you on the head and saying, you go own this. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're, we intentionally create this open field. You go make a garden out of it. And then you can monetize it and have a great time with it. And what would you, you say to the people that say, but aren't you supposed to give us the garden? Then I say, with that, those people are creating a void, and maybe there are going to be other developers saying, some of you want an experience where all the all the aspects of the garden are provided, mm-hmm. and so we will f- fill that niche. Mm-hmm. But those uh, companies are probably going to have to find different models for funding because they're going to be more expensive to produce. Sure, and that I guess something that that just made me think of is uh, thoughts on the premium mods. Yeah, that's you mean from like Valve that they tried to do that, didn't mm-hmm, they? And then mm-hmm. they had to retract. Because mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you know, why wouldn't you want to create a system where you once again say we have a platform within a platform? Yes, you use your PC to open up Steam to open up this game, but the game itself is just a framework for which other people can enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. One of those ways of enjoying the game is actually to extend it. Mm-hmm. And if you put in that much work. I, as the original owner, saying, you've made enough changes to my game that you deserve a cut of whatever reward comes. But it's not even a cut because you, as the game owner, you got your money when they bought Mm -hmm. it. So the mod's work isn't a cut of your money. You got it. The mod creator got you the money, maybe. You know what I'm saying? I am... I'm not really for or mm-hmm. against. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of, I feel it's very much in the same league as early access. I feel that if you're okay with early mm-hmm. access, you have to be okay with premium mods. Mm-hmm. And if you're not okay with premium mods, mm-hmm. you, you can't really be okay with early access because it's the same idea, really. And it's one of those things that it's a powerful tool and it can be used for good or evil. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at early access and be like, this is a great way to support the developers and, and funnel this future or those greedy, lazy developers taking all my money and, and maybe they won't do anything. And you can look at premium mods saying like, oh, sweet, like this company or this person has put in a huge amount of time mm-hmm. to build this experience. It's amazing. I, it's basically a game just like I paid for this mm-hmm. game. I really should pay for that game mm-hmm. versus, oh, now they're discharging me for things yeah. that would give away right. free. I mean, and it really opens up the, the arena for mods to be made by professionals. Mm-hmm. That are really good, solid, quality content mm-hmm. as opposed to Joe Schmo in his basement where, I mean, it's a neat idea, but everything looks kind of mm-hmm. garbage, you know. I I guess I'm, I'm for it as long as it's not taken advantage right. of, but knowing humanity yeah. it would be. I think I'm for it uh, from the perspective of it helps the original developer who most developers are not lazy. They're very hardworking people. They just have limited resources mm-hmm. or limited vision. But they want to be as, as successful as possible. I know very few game developers, even the ones who sell multi-million 
copies of their games that live in mansions like people who made Windows sure. or Excel live in mansions. They mm-hmm. don't. They get by. They live in a very expensive part of the country and they and they sure. make it they make a decent salary to, you know, have a home and and a car and can go on a vacation a year. Sure. Right? So don't deny them the safety net of saying we have even more resources to work with now we can take more creative risks. But One it's of those not, ways it's not the original developer those making. But that it money. is in a way because if you make if someone else, a third party, makes a mod that's really cool and it makes other people want to buy the platform game. I agree. So like like that was a whole bunch be of my yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah a whole making, bunch yeah. of us at Bungie discovered Dota because Luke Smith, who is now a creative director at Bungie, um, uh, said when he joined the mm-hmm. studio, it was like, oh, you guys are playing, um, you know, we were playing Age of Empires at the mm-hmm. time and we're playing Warcraft 3 and, and Starcraft, things like that. And he was oh, you should play the mod Dota. And we're like, Dota, what's that? And he introduced us to mm-hmm. Dota. And then we we're like, oh, crap. So we went and bought a whole bunch more Warcraft 3, even mm-hmm. though it was a game that's like 10 years old. Sure. Just so that we could play this mod. Have you ever played Arma 3? Mm-mm. Me neither, but I own a copy of it because I wanted to play DayZ. <laughs> uh, and it, it's a, yeah. So that's why I'm right. okay with premium, right. I'm, I'm right. okay with premium yeah. mods. Again, you have to assume humanity is not going to be a bunch of bastards, which they will be. Right. But, you know, I bought Arma 3 to play DayZ. And uh-huh. I think premium mods, high quality content, which people should be compensated mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can't just expect hobbyists mm-hmm. to just throw free, free stuff away all the time. So... You know, high quality mods not only um, give the users new content without waiting for a new mm-hmm. major release, mm-hmm. but they also again funnel money back to. It. So it's it just surprises me that it was taken down. It was surprised me that there was so much venom around the I whole think it's topic. Because the message, because again, like Unity is a game engine, it could make a whole bunch of different games, and when people use it to make a game and then they sell that game, people are like, oh yeah, that's fair. They use the game engine, they created a game, I get to enjoy it. Well. I used this game engine to create a game and I want to sell it. Oh, but you can't because that was used to make another game. Because it wasn't a game engine. It was, it was you know, games these days yeah. are kind of game engines that just come prepackaged with yeah. a certain yeah. set of and content. Here's the other dirty <laughs> secret that people don't realize is uh, the publishers are already doing that, you dummies. Do you think the original studio is necessarily making the DLC that you download for your favorite game? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. They're finding much less expensive studios out there to create the content that they sell to you as dlc well there you go you heard it here first folks yeah i mean i mean just <laughs> I look didn't at the really back of the box consider that yeah. yeah it's like so it's already happened i mean i guess i knew that but i guess i didn't really like know that because you're yeah. always like oh a different studio made yeah. that but you don't really think like oh that was actually the intention yeah what they did is they we have a game engine it's capable of creating this kind of game the original studio is very expensive and already preoccupied making a major release mm-hmm. let's find another studio could have been a bunch of modders. It could have been. So it is a. Uh, it basically is a premium mod. Yeah, already. yeah, it's yeah. just a premium mod. But we oh, because it has the publisher's label on it. Suddenly, it's legit. Well, so I think that's what the people at Valve recognized mm-hmm. was like this. Just because this is being made in someone's basement doesn't mean it's any less hard work or quality or dedication or passion or professionalism of being applied to it than say a studio in a small strip mall office. So you think it was just an issue of marketing then? Yeah, I think it was messaging was. They didn't yeah. figure out a way of saying it. Without saying it uh-huh. in a way that would make people yeah. upset. Well, that's unfortunate. Well, on an unfortunate uh-huh. note, I suppose, <laughs> uh, we are pretty much about out of time. So uh, a couple topics we didn't get to. So we'll just save that for episode, lucky episode number six. <laughs> um, 
And uh, I'm just reading my notes here. It just says, I love bees. And, and I'm just like, oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, cool stuff. Anything you want to add? No. It's, it, I, I really enjoy making these podcasts. So I hope people are enjoying listening to them and if they have got any questions or corrections to make, especially corrections. I hate for uh, misstatements to exist forever because I think these are being beamed out into mm-hmm. the uh, universe. Um, yeah, they'll exist forever. For exi- forever. So I, let's I, correct our, our missteps uh, if, that's if right. we made any. I have them. Backed up to every major city capital in the or city <laughs> right. capital, country capital in the world. No, I don't really. Um, but I stole them all on a three by five flop. Ukraine, at least. Right? Uh, that's right, exactly. Um, yeah, but uh, I guess I'll add on to that. Uh, as always, any questions, comments, just let us know. Uh, anything you want us to talk about, that's cool. Um, share with your friends, that's fun. We don't promote the podcast, I guess. I mean, I do a tweet about it like once every episode. I I really even, sh- we really should promote yeah, it yeah. so people can listen to it. But uh, um, but apparently they don't really let you even promote them until we have seven episodes. So um, we got to get there. But uh, interesting still. And what were you saying? I don't even remember. Let's uh, just fair kill enough. it. Let's just kill <laughs> it. it. right now. You're going to die, podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks. I beat uh, this podcast. I beat the, I'm going to destroy the disc. Uh, that's right. Um, all right. Well, so thank you all for listening uh, and have a, a guess, a fantastic two weeks until the next episode. Yeah. Till then, this is Mike Wu. Uh, Mike Geig. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>